This one's called Um Kids. Um Kids. A show in 1976 because we were the only band that had a PA and the Buzzcocks found out we had a PA so they said would you come up to Manchester so we went to the Ritz in Manchester to let them use our PA to support the Buzzcocks right and that was one of the first gigs uh, and what's his name Devoto was on vocal in. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody took about six hours to try and plug in this PA. Nobody <laughs> knew. Now, what, what the hell? How to work it or anything? It was a great night. How did you know? get into punk in the first place? Well, basically, a lot of us were just hanging around, you know, hanging around the King's Road, hanging around London. So, uh, you know, anywhere we could go. And there was no one playing anywhere, so we all went, well, bloody hell, the only way to have music is to do it yourself. Uh, a feeling we all had at the kind of at the same time that yeah, we yeah. needed to do something. But punk band Chelsea originally formed in August of 1976 around singer John O'Hara, who went by Gene October, along with guitarist William Broad, who later became known as Billy Idol, bassist Tony James, and drummer John Toe. James and Toe were previously members of the infamous London SS with future Clash guitarist Mick Jones. One version of the story claims that Gene October placed an ad in Melody Maker, which led to replies from Broad, James and Toe. William Broad was his name, wasn't it? Well, yeah. Billy Idol. Uh, he went to Sussex University. Yeah, um, and he was doing a de degree there, an economics one, I think, and um, I met him in London <clears throat> with Tony because I met Tony first and I loved the way Tony looked in his leather trousers and his dark glasses and his leather... Tony, the, uh, Tony James, bass, the bass, bass player. Yeah. Who later went on to form Zig I thought yeah. straight away, just the way you look, if you can play bass, bloody hell. Um, but he said, I've got a mate. Because I said, oh, we've got to get guitarists. And uh, he said, I've got a mate. And uh, so I met him and he said, but I'm at Sussex Uni and the thing is, I, I'm, I live in. 
and if I can't join the band because I'm doing a degree. He said, is there any chance you can come down and see uh, the proctor for me and have a little... So I went, I said, oh, I'll come down. So I went down and saw the proctor with him and I said, look, man, you know, the guy's going, oh, no, he's got a degree to do and uh, you don't want him to leave and blah, blah, blah. If you don't let him get this rock and roll thing out of his system, you won't get anything out of him. So really, what he's asking me to ask you... Is there any chance he can bugger off and do this rock and roll thing? And if that don't work out, come back and do this degree. The other story is that the band was assembled by John Crivine and Steph Rayner, who owned a London clothing store on King's Road in Chelsea, London, called Acme Attractions, a spot where many punk and reggae musicians and assorted scenesters hung out in the 70s. Their boutique was inspired by Malcolm McLaren's shop, Let It Rock, which he had renamed Sex. Curvine and Rayner were also inspired by McLaren's mentorship of the Sex Pistols, and thus lent their support to Chelsea in the same way. On October 18, 1976, Chelsea made their live debut at a controversial gig with Throbbing Gristle at the Institute of Contemporary Arts in London. From an industrial records promotional leaflet, it's a sickening outrage, sadistic, obscene, evil. The Arts Council must be scrapped after this. So spoke Tory MP Nicholas Fairbairn of this gig. The Daily Mirror enjoyed it too. Pop porn art show, distasteful and unartistic, harebrained schemes of a few trendy elitists. That's from the Mirror comment. And the outraged Tory MP quote is from the national press. Fairbairn also wants an explanation from Arts Minister Harold Lever in the House of Commons to tell the rulers of our fair land just how the Institute of Contemporary Arts, with its grant of £80,000 a year, was permitted to put on a show of such decadence that the whole of our pious national press were up in arms. Bet you're dying to know what happened, ain't ya? Okay, here's what. Some pornographic photographs stuck on the wall, a few used Tampax and glass cases, a great stripper and a lot of music is the gist of it. Seems like everybody in the audience was an artist, a painter, an actor, or a writer. Oh darling, how are you was the battle cry around the makeshift bar. Still, the drinks were cheap and the conversation was amusing. And by the time a party load of kids decked out in latest punk fashion wear arrived, closely followed by the national press, Things were starting to warm up. Throbbing Gristle, music from the Death Factory, were the first band to appear. The lead singer and bass player, Genesis P. Orridge, had ratty shoulder-length hair that was shaved bald up the middle of his head, as if he had been run over by a crazed lawnmower. While he went into a rap about the decay of humanity, Peter Christofferson took his place behind his tape machine, Chris Carter got behind his keyboards, and Cossy Fanny Tootie settled himself on a wooden chair to handle lead guitar. After Genesis finished his opening speech of doom and destruction, the band went into their, uh, music, which consisted of lots of weird, sub-psychedelic taped sounds, rolling around random keyboards played plonk-plonk style, lead guitar that Patti Smith would have been ashamed of, and moronic bass on a superb Rickenbacker by old Genesis Peorage himself. I went to get a screwdriver from the bar and came back just in time to see the band start mutilating itself. Genesis seemed to be really enjoying himself, but most of the audience were bored. Oh, darling, so passe. 
Nigel said at the party it would be interesting and artistically fulfilling. Backstage, Genesis talked about his obscenity bust over a bottle of scotch and told me he was soon off to the States to see his hero and main influence, William Burroughs. He's living in an old people's home now, Genesis said. He's had contact with us for a long time now. The obscenity charge was because we want to give the people information. We want to stop the decay of civilization through our music. Leaving Genesis backstage with his bloody face, his shaved head, and his plans to save the cosmos, I went back to the audience to check out why so many kids decked out in punk outfits had come along to the ICA tonight. Surely they weren't interested in all this, uh, culture? Nah, mate. One of them told me while adjusting the safety pin in his carefully ripped t-shirt. We've come to see Chelsea. They're on after the stripper. But LSD are on after the stripper. Yeah, they're billed as LSD, but their real name's Chelsea. Got a great guitarist they have. Good as Wilco he is. All right, thanks, Squire. Shelly the stripper comes on decked out in full cherry bomb outfit, and she is great. While looking a few years older than the 14 summers that the MC had announced... Ah, if only that were true. She is a true artiste and takes about four records to slowly get out of her ensemble. She really stretches it out. The crowd love her. Chelsea come on and by the end of their first number it's evident that they're coming from the same direction as the Pistols, Damned, and The Clash. But at the moment their act suffers from the problem of a band not having played enough live gigs together. But what the four of them lack in polish, they more than make up for in committed energy. They're aggressive, but through their music, not their actions. Meaning that they want attention from the audience, but they want it because of their music, and not because they're spitting over the people in the front rows. A good set of 1977 Dole Q Rock, only two of the numbers not written by the band. They're all from the London area, Billy the bass player tells me after the gig, We've known the Pistols for years. We could be that big if they gave us a chance. We've been turning up at venues with our gear and asking them if we can get up on stage and play, but most of them tell us to piss off. We've been rehearsing in an office. There's a lot of people like that bird you just mentioned who are trying to ride on the bandwagon of all the kids that are playing in high-energy bands at the moment. We want to play music we believe in. We don't want no 30-year-old manager telling us what to do. That's Chelsea. You'll be hearing that name again. Okay, promoters, book them. Uh, your very first gig was supporting uh, Throbbing Gristle. Yes. Um... Uh, London ICA on October the 18th. 1976. Yeah, good old Genesis. Genesis got a, an arts grant from the um, from the, the arts council. Yeah, yeah, arts council. So they he, they said, will you do an exhibition? So he he said, okay, I'm doing this. So he came up um, to one of our rehearsals one day on the Portobello Road. He said, I need this band. Can you not play? <laughs> I said, well, 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 what do you want? He said, well, I'm doing this exhibition. I said, well, well what are you going to call it? He said, Music from the Death Factory. <laughs> and that's what the exhibition was called. And it was kind of like he had uh, uh, photos of hangings and 
James Hanratty and and, and kind of like uh, Auschwitz and all kinds of weird coffins, photos of coffins open with the body and all this kind of thing. And he, he lit them up in such a way in various rooms and he had this weird psychic TV music pumped in, in these rooms, you know what I mean? And he called the exhibition Music from the Death Factory. Now he said at about nine o'clock we want to stop it all and then you lot in this hall play. Basically we did a load of early Stones covers. I thought, well, we use it as a rehearsal. You know, just to have a jam, man. But I didn't know that Tony James had a mate called Mick Jones from The Clash, who bought a friend of his, um, Tony Parsons, who wrote for NME, was a major rock writer. Now works for The Sun, of course. But, GQ uh, magazine. Mm. <laughs> but he Not gave us a half a page ad for the for the gig, uh, a half page review in NME saying this band's going to be massive. They're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I thought bloody hell, you know, we only had a stab at it. You know, <laughs> first ever gig, and we're going to be massive. Yeah. Great. A quote from Billy Idol to Rolling Stone. I was going to put some blue highlights in it. She bleached my hair because you bleach your hair first to put these blue highlights, and then you dye it black again. Then she reached into a bag and went, Oh, I haven't got the highlights, so I can't really do what we were going to do. I'll get them and we'll do it next week. So I kind of looked in the mirror and went, Well, this isn't that bad, actually. This is kind of a bit of a laugh. It was a bit orangey, but it was cool, especially for punk. So I went to rehearsal like that with my group Chelsea. As soon as I walked through the door, Gene October, the lead singer, said, You're not leaving your hair like that, are you? I started to tell the whole story, but he went on like that so much that I just thought, he must be worried that I'm going to be super upstaging him. And of course I said, Yes, I'm going to dye it black, when of course I never did. And then it became a bit of a trademark. That first lineup of Chelsea split up in November of 1976, and the other three went on to form their own band, Generation X. Gene October briefly recruited guitarist Marty Stacy, bassist Bob Jesse, and drummer Kerry Fortune, but Stacy was soon replaced by James Stevenson, and in March 1977, Jesse was replaced by Henry Days, a.k.a. Henry Badowski, despite having, quote, barely picked up a bass guitar in his life. This lineup recorded the band's first single, the punk classic Right to Work, released by Step Forward Records in June of 1977. The song also appeared on the soundtrack album for the 1997 film by Derek Jarman called Jubilee. The soundtrack came out on Polydor in 1978. Gene October also made an appearance in the film.
After the release of the first single, there was another lineup change. Bassist Henry Days was replaced by Simon Cade Williams, a.k.a. Simon Vitesse. Simon joined the band just in time for a UK tour and the recording of the band's second single, High Rise Living. Not long after the release of the second single, Chelsea played their farewell gig on October 6, 1977 at the Roxy. But by December, October had relaunched Chelsea as a five-piece with rhythm guitarist Dave Martin, bassist Jeff Miles, and drummer Steve J. Jones joining October and James Stevenson. This lineup recorded a third single, Urban Kids, produced by ex-Who manager Kit Lambert, and released in August of 1978. Soon after the release of the third single, drummer Steve J. Jones was replaced by Chris Bashford. That lineup of the band recorded its self-titled debut over the course of two weeks in early January 1979, but the album was not released by Step Forward until June. Step Forward Records was founded by Miles Copeland and his younger brother Stuart in 1977, along with the manager of Stuart's band The Police, Paul Mulligan to release the police's first single, Fallout. A quote from James Stevenson, Soon as the police started happening, all the bands on Step Forward got neglected slash forgotten about. Miles was also our manager, which didn't help. 
A and M were once interested because of Miles, but maybe he wanted to keep some bands on his own label. It probably, in hindsight, wasn't the most ideal situation. That was I'm On Fire, the kickoff track on the self-titled Chelsea album. A couple of more standouts for me from the first album are Decide and Twelve Men.
Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. A quote from Trouser Press magazine. Even in the early days, Chelsea didn't pursue the buzzsaw punk stereotype, instead favoring a less fevered, sometimes lumbering intensity, redolent of an ignorant, lower-class background. Chelsea does offer plenty of thrills, however. The band continued to tour extensively, including UK dates with The Clash and The Police. They also made their first foray into the U.S. with an East Coast tour. As the first album contained none of the band's singles, a compilation was released as the second album, titled Alternative Hits in the U.K. It also featured a couple of new tracks. The album sleeve was designed by drummer Chris Bashford and pictured a man doing heroin. This proved too controversial for IRS records in the U.S., so the compilation was retitled No Escape, with a close-up picture of Gene October's face on the cover. There are some absolute punk rock classics on No Escape, my personal favorites being No Flowers, Look at the Outside, and What Would You Do?
On May 2, 1980, Chelsea played yet another farewell show at London's Notre Dame Hall. This lineup had actually lasted two years. Sting joined the band on stage for a few numbers. James Stevenson went on to join the final incarnation of Generation X. A quote from Stevenson, We never got the credit we deserved. I'll stand by any of the records we made, and I don't think they have dated that badly. The music papers at the time gave us an absolute hammering. I can remember when we were going up to a gig in Leeds, and the hotel was raided, and we were pulled out of our beds at six in the morning. We thought we'd mention it to NME to get a bit in the gossip column. They wrote instead that the police were probably trying to stop us from playing. It's funny now, but back then we were getting it all the time. Really nasty. Of course, it would not take long for Gene October to assemble another Chelsea lineup and take the band back out on the road. A temporary lineup still featuring drummer Chris Bashford toured America in late 1980. But by December 1980, the band had split up again. October hastily put together another Chelsea lineup featuring drummer Saul Mintz, bassist Tim Griffin, and guitarist Stephen Corfield and Nick Austin. This version of the band made its debut in January of 1981 and recorded a single called Rockin' Horse for Step Forward Records. Soon the band was reduced to a four-piece following the departure of guitarist Stephen Corfield. Then bassist Tim Griffin quit the day before a scheduled gig at London's Fulham Greyhound. Sting actually filled in on bass for that gig, but October soon recruited a new bass player named Paul Link. Um, we had a residency at the Greyhound in Fulham four, four, five night stint, and our bass player hurt his foot. I mean, really hurt his foot. He couldn't get out out of the house. So um, I had just happened to uh, bump into Sting in the, uh, in the office one day, and he said, uh, I said, oh, you know, we're going to have to cancel. I'll do it. So he basically did, <laughs> did the four nights at the Graham with us, and he had a number one at the time. 
Wow. He didn't have to bloody well do that, you know, which was great, you know. Brilliant. Rise above, In December of 1981, California punkers Black Flag were booked to open a gig for Chelsea in Manchester. Black Flag frontman Henry Rollins wrote about his experience in his published journal. December 1981, England. We were broke. We were hungry. We were cold. We were miserable. We had a show in Manchester. Early one morning, we drove our rented van from London north to Manchester. We spent all our remaining dough on petrol just to make the gig. At Manchester Polytech, we learn that we are playing with Chelsea, a well-known English punk rock band. For some strange reason, Black Flag was headlining. I smelled trouble. We didn't even have an album out in England, just a six-pack EP, and we were headlining. Someone, somewhere, was going to be pissed off. We unloaded the equipment and went upstairs to the dressing room to relax and find some food. I should mention at this point that the dressing room was huge and was to be used by all the bands on the bill that night. Okay, so I fall asleep on the floor next to the wall, out of the way of everything and everyone. Fine. I am woken up by a boot in my ribs. I grab my side and look up at Gene October, the singer in Chelsea. Excuse me, Los Angeles. Sorry about that. I just tripped over you. Yeah, right. But that's cool. I go back to sleep. I get woken up again by the same boot. Oh, Los Angeles, so sorry. I still remain cool. Me being the only flag in the room, which is now full of Chelsea and crew. The jerk starts talking to me. You really don't have any good music in America, do you, Los Angeles? The Dickies and the Ramones, I mean, they are a load of shit, aren't they, Los Angeles? What a drag. I had two Chelsea records at home. I just stare and nod my head. Hours later, Chelsea is on stage. Gene is talking to the crowd between songs. There are some short-haired hippies from Los Angeles in the crowd tonight. It's Black Flag. I want you to get them. The crowd cheers. Me and Ian McKay, then singer in the DC-based Minor Threat, who visited England with us, walk into the crowd smiling and waving, saying, Here we are. Come and get us. No one took the challenge. Personally, I was kind of hoping one of the five of them would jump us so I could have had the pleasure of taking nine days of misery out on their faces.
1982 saw the release of a great new Chelsea album called Evacuate. The cover photo features former drummer of the Meteors, Mark Robertson, although he didn't actually play on the recording. Guitarist Nick Austin did a lot of the writing for this album, including the title track and another of my favorites, Cover Up. Another great song on the third Chelsea album, Evacuate, is called 40 People. The Evacuate lineup of Chelsea lasted into 1984, but they did not record another album. After they split up, October released a couple of solo singles, and then in 1985 assembled a new version of the band and released the album Original Sinners, followed by the records Rocks Off in 1986 
and under wraps in Gene October managed to put together a couple more Chelsea albums in the 90s. The Alternative, which is actually a pretty cool album, and Traitor's Gate.
Then in 1999, the classic Chelsea lineup of Gene October, James Stevenson, Dave Martin, Jeff Miles, and Chris Bashford reformed for the Social Chaos Tour across America. These were their very first shows together in almost 20 years. Gene October has kept a version of Chelsea going to this day. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at fantasy points. Fantasypoints.com code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 